Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 11. We went there last Lord's Day, but I want to take us there again today and focus on what we can read there. Luke chapter 11. This sermon is entitled, The Stronger Man. There's a strong man in the universe, bound to this earth now, but there is a stronger man. And the sermon this morning is to encourage your hearts, to build your faith, and to increase your assurance that there is nothing that can steal you away from his love and the eternal heaven that he has prepared for you. I would like to read to you Luke 11, verses 14 through 26. And he was casting out a devil, and it was dumb. And it came to pass, when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake. And the people wondered. But some of them said, He casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. And others, tempting him, sought of him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And a house divided against a house falleth. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because ye say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. When a strong man, armed, keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted, And divideth his spoils. He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest. And finding none, he saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. May the Lord bless the reading of his infallible and inspired word. Heavenly Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand lest this word fall by the wayside and be snatched away by the devil himself, whom we preach against this morning in the name and by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Luke 11. Jesus cast a dumb devil out of a man that while that devil possessed him, the man could not speak. He was dumb. The devil can bind people physically and give them physical maladies and diseases. Do you remember a woman that was bowed over for 18 years that came to Jesus? 
She had been bent over for 18 years and Jesus healed her. And he was criticized for healing her on the Sabbath day. But he said, shouldn't I have released this woman from the bondage of Satan who has bound her for these 18 years? She was bent over by the power of the devil. And Jesus straightened her up again after 18 years because Jesus is the stronger man that we're working toward in this passage. But this was a dumb spirit, and it caused the man that it was in to be dumb. He couldn't speak. As soon as Jesus cast the devil out, the dumb spoke. And he returned to normal and was able to speak again, as he had once been able to, and to speak clearly, because the power of the Lord is so great. Amen. Jesus never begs devils to leave. If you ever watch some of these men on TV who think that they're apostles, they have to beg the devils. They plead with them. They have to repeat themselves. Jesus never had to repeat himself, right. himself to them. They wanted to leave his presence. They were willing to go anywhere. They would ask for pigs to enter into. Just let me get away from you. Because Jesus Christ is so powerful. Amen. And we want to trust our brother, Jesus of Nazareth, today for his great power. Yeah. Verse 15. Some of those there, though, said, Jesus is casting out devils by the power of Satan, by the power of Beelzebub. The name for Satan to the Jews. That is the unpardonable sin. The Bible says that there is a sin that will not be forgiven in this life or the next. Right. And that sin is to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, casting out devils and doing miracles with his perfect character and accusing him of operating by the power of the devil rather than the power of the Holy Spirit. Right. You cannot commit the unpardonable sin. Just forget that little passage when you read it as saying something about you. It doesn't even apply to you. Right. It, apply, it applies to Jews that saw Jesus of Nazareth doing all those good deeds and is saying he's doing it by the power of the devil. To have such a visible demonstration of the Spirit of God in your face and to say that it's the devil doing it was a sin that Jesus said is unpardonable. You don't have to worry about one thing. There were no elect people that committed it anyway. So don't let it frustrate you at all when you read the Word of God. Right. These pagan Pharisees were going to be destroyed by the Romans in just 40 years. And Jesus said of them, How shall ye escape the damnation of hell? Right. Because there was no escape for them. Others tempted him said, We want to see a sign from heaven. Can you believe that? You've just seen a man that couldn't speak. Jesus casts the devil out of him, and he speaks plainly. And they say, we want to see fire fall from heaven. We want to see the clouds move around. Show us a sign from heaven. Did he? Did he give them what they wanted? Would it have helped them believe if he had? Not a bit. They were skeptical scorners. And he didn't give them. As we read through the Gospel of Matthew, we come to a place where he says, the same crowd. And he says, okay, I'll give you a sign. Kill me, bury me, and I'll be in the ground three days and three nights. Then I'll come out. That's my sign. I'll give you the sign of Jonah. If you really want a sign, I'll give you the sign of Jonah. And so Jesus did exactly what he said. But it didn't help them believe. They just wanted to pay money to tell, for the soldiers not to admit what had happened when Jesus rose from the dead. Verse 17. He knew their thoughts. 
He knew their thoughts and discussion among themselves, and he said, how in the world could I be casting out devils by the power of Beelzebub or Satan? Because that would mean his kingdom is divided. That means he's trying to possess men, and that means he's unpossessing men. That doesn't make any sense, because a kingdom divided against itself is going to fall, and kingdom Satan is quite secure. That's the implication of the two ver- of the verses here. Satan had a strong kingdom as far as any earthly kingdoms are ever considered. Satan's has outlasted all of them by thousands of years. Right. And he said Satan's far more organized and efficient than fighting against himself. That's verses 17 and 18. Verse 19. If I Here's the second argument against them. If I'm casting out devils by the power of Satan then who are your gypsies casting them out by? And he refers to those vagabond Jews, gypsies. See, even to our day, there were gypsies, and there still are a few, vagabonds. That means they don't know how to live in one place. They travel around, they use crystal balls, and they're in contact with spirits. They'll read your palm, they'll look in their crystal ball, and they'll try to kick out devils. They do, once in a while, give the impression of kicking out a devil because the devil is giving that impression. Jesus is saying, I and your gypsies are so far apart. If you want to go ahead and say that I'm doing it by the power of Satan, then are you admitting that your vagabond exorcists are doing it by the power of God? Is that what you want to admit? And he condemned them by their own gypsies. Where do we read about these gypsies again? Do we encounter them one more time? Do we find them in Acts 19? Yep. Were there seven of these gypsies that entered into a house in Acts 19? They were sons of a Jewish priest named Sceva. And there was a man possessed of a devil there. And those seven gypsies came in and said, We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out of that man. The man with the devils in him said, I know Jesus. And I know Paul, but who in the world are you fakes? (laughs) And that devil-possessed man jumped on the seven men, stripped their clothes off, and chased them out of the house. That's how effective the Jewish exorcists were, the Jewish vagabond gypsies. They knew Jesus, and they knew Paul preached Jesus, but they didn't know that imposter. And so Jesus made that appeal here, and I'm a little off track, but... I hope you can appreciate the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Even when his name comes out of the mouth of an imposter, they say, we know Jesus. And we know his faithful saints. We know Paul. But who in the world are you? Verse 20. He gave two arguments as to why they were wrong. Two natural arguments. Satan would not be divided in his kingdom or it wouldn't stand. If I'm doing it by the power of Satan, then who in the world are your gypsies doing it by he, he condemned them twice with those reasons. Then he offers another proposition. But if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. Amen. There's another alternative. I've just shown you that the alternative you've suggested is not true. I am not doing it by the power of Beelzebub. There is another alternative. I'm doing it by the Spirit of God. I'm doing it by the finger of God. And if that is the case... If I have arrived on earth and have this kind of power over the devils, then the kingdom of God has arrived and you've missed it. The kingdom of God is here and you don't even know it. Because they didn't know it. That he was the Messiah and had ushered in the kingdom of God. 
even though he and John had been preaching, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he gives this explanation. This is what we want for today. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. We've got a strong man, we've got armor, we've got a palace, and we've got his goods. We've got four things. The strong man is the devil. His armor, his armor is how he keeps men in his palace. His palace is his kingdom where he rules and reigns and people obey him. The goods are people, the human race that he captured in the Garden of Eden. The devil captured our race in the Garden of Eden by getting our first parents to eat the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Even though God had said, if you eat there, you'll die. If you eat of that tree, you will die in the very day that you eat of it. The palace is the kingdom of the devil. The strong man is the devil himself. The goods are you and me and the human race. Put there because we obeyed the devil in the Garden of Eden. The armor in which he trusts is ignorance, lies, darkness, blindness, death, sin, hell, and the fear of death. His armor, his armor is how he keeps men in his palace. By blinding them, by keeping them ignorant, by lying to them, and by making them afraid of death. We're going to see that. That's his armor. He's got the power of death because he got us to sin against God, who had said, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. That's how the devil took the power of death over us. And we, we willingly cooperated. Verse 22. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh away from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. What a verse! There's a stronger man. Amen. There's a stronger man that has come to our rescue. What were we going to do? When we read strong man, do we all understand that we are no contest for the devil? He is far stronger than we are. Amen. When God said, okay, Satan, you can have it, Job. Could Satan raise a tornado and a hurricane in a moment of time and direct it straight to Job's property? Could he do it? Could he raise foreign armies and bring them against Job's property directly? Yes. Could he cause wind to blow a house down so that it would fall flat and kill its occupants? Yes. Could he bow a woman down for 18 years? Could he cause a person that had normal throat and vocal cords be unable to speak? He's he's strong. He only took a few seconds to convince our first parents to eat the fruit off the tree that God had said, don't touch it. Only one commandment, and only took him a little while to seduce and bewitch our first parents. He's strong, but there is a stronger man, brethren, and today we want to rejoice. We are Christians, and we are in this place, in this room, to celebrate what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. The Lord Jesus Christ came upon him. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. This is the word of the Lord. 1 John 3.8 For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. I want you to understand that from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, a great conflict is is being described 
in the pages of Holy Scripture, and it's the conflict between Jesus Christ and the devil. And Jesus Christ is a stronger man, and he came on the strong man and overcame him. And that was the purpose for him coming into the earth. Satan has us. We, through our first parents, gave ourselves over to him, entered his palace, and we all lived there willingly. But Jesus Christ, the stronger man, has come with the purpose of even though we did not want him to come and deliver us, he came and delivered us anyway by his great power. He came on the strong man. He overcame him. He took away all his armor. Right. What aspect of his armor do you want to think about? Darkness. In him was life, and the life was the light, light of men. I am the light of the world. Amen. When you look at the world apart from Jesus Christ, the whole world lieth in wickedness. The whole world is in darkness, right. as the apostles tell us. But Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He is the opposite. He has taken away all the armor. The devil is a liar from the beginning. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, truth, and the life. Jesus brought truth to save us from the lies of the devil. He brought life to save us from the death of the devil. He brought heaven to save us from the hell of the devil. He brought us hope of the resurrection to save us from the fear of death. Jesus Christ has destroyed the strong man for us. He overcame him. He went into his palace and he took us out of it screaming against him, but then he changed our hearts by regeneration so that we went willingly. And he adopted us to be his children, and we have a stronger man, and he has divided his spoils. He's taken what Satan took in the Garden of Eden. He's taken it back and rescued us from the hands of the devil. And brethren, every time you see someone die, every time you see someone die, you just remember, That is reminding you that there was a Garden of Eden, and there was an Adam, and there was an Eve, and there was a devil. Every time someone dies, it's a consequence of what happened in the Garden of Eden. The the rest of this world, with all their research labs, and all their educational institutions, and all their advanced degrees, don't know where death came from. (laughs) We know where death came from. We know exactly where it came from, and we know the cure. And this this morning, I'm trying to tell you about the cure. It's the stronger man. Amen. The blessed God sent Jesus of Nazareth into this world to face death, the devil, sin, and hell straight on. Right. And he defeated them all. He took away the armor, the armor that the devil had and rescued us. Ephesians 4, 8 says he led captivity captive. Amen. He took those that were captives and made them his own captives and slaves and sons. What a blessed situation we are in. Verse 23, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. Jesus Christ is the dividing point of all men. Those Pharisees were obviously opposed to him by saying that he was casting out devils by the power of Satan. But anyone in between that was not joined with the Lord Jesus Christ and casting themselves down before him and confessing him as king... And Lord, anyone that did that was against him. Because if you're not with the Lord Jesus Christ by doctrine and holy practice, you are against him and you are scattering his people. There is no room in the religion of Jesus Christ for neutrality. You are either for him or you are against him. And if you're not with him by doctrine and practice, you are against him and you are leading other children astray by your compromising religion. 
you're against him. That's why the Apostle Paul would come to Philippians chapter 3 and he would say, with tears I've told you about this, that in the churches of Christ there are many that are the enemies of the cross of Christ. What makes them enemies from that passage? They mind earthly things. They mind earthly things because, see, Jesus didn't mind earthly things. He didn't even have a place for his head, but he knew he had a throne in heaven. They minded earthly things, and by that were made the enemies of Christ. You don't have to say, I hate Jesus Christ to be his enemy. Here's a real enemy of Jesus Christ. I love Jesus Christ. And then go home and watch TV. Without the temperance to keep the wicked things off it. That is the enemy of Jesus Christ. Minding earthly things, but confessing that you're his. Preached on that enough, we've already seen that in Psalm 50 earlier this morning. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man. Jesus then uses a little parable here about an unclean spirit going out of a man. If Jesus casts a devil out, or if a devil leaves, and leaves a man empty, the devil isn't very happy when he's not in a person. Because a devil wants to be inside of someone, destroying them. What's the devil's name? Apollyon and Abaddon. In Hebrew and Greek, both of them mean the destroyer. When a devil is out of a man, he wants to get back in. Outward reformation is not enough. Me casting devils out is not enough. The soul that is left has to run to me for safety. Because if he comes back, the house is empty. Our houses are... Is your house empty? My house is not empty. My house is filled up. Amen. It's filled up with the Lord Jesus Christ by His Spirit. Right. Is He inside you? Amen. The Bible tells us He ought to be. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ in you, leading you, you are none of His. Right. The devil wanders around. He hates being out there by himself. He wants to get inside of someone to mess them up. Did you ever find someone in the Bible that was possessed by a devil that was meeting with success and prosperity and happiness? Did you ever meet one of those? Or is he always a destroyer? Right. Is he always a destroyer? Amen. Did he help Judas get ahead in the world? Did he help Judas really find himself? The Spirit comes back and he brings, he brings some more with him. Seven's a number for completeness, many. He brings many with him, and the worst state of that man is worse than the first. And what's the whole problem in those verses? Because they did not submit themselves and seek Jesus Christ. Because that's who we want to fill us. The Lord Jesus Christ. And if Jesus Christ isn't there, the devil's going to come back. Outward reformation never works. You can be outwardly reformed. Your place is swept. You've got the house swept up nice and clean. You've got it garnished with some flowers. Looks pretty good. You've been to AA. You've been to Awana, but you haven't really met Jesus Christ. When he's in the house, the devil has no place to come in. That's really off the subject, but I wanted to finish it all the way down to verse 26. The last state of that man is worse than the first, because when the devil comes back after being cast out, he aggravates the situation by bringing more devils with him. And in Matthew's account of this conversation here of our Lord, Matthew said, This spake he of that generation. Because Jesus cast out so many devils out of that generation, but they all came—they all came back with others to roost in that generation. So the last state of the Jewish nation was worse than it had ever been. And when Titus finally came and destroyed the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem, it was the most depraved, wicked, blinded, dark, 
hateful, murderous group of people the earth has ever seen of any color, creed, or race. Right. You ought to read Titus' own opinion, Josephus' own opinion of the people in that city afterwards. What we want is in verse 22, a stronger than he shall come. We have the Lord Jesus Christ as our stronger man. Amen. Brethren, we can't fight death. There's one thing that's certain for all of us. We're going to die unless the stronger man comes first. But I want to tell you something. The stronger man has already defeated death. Amen. He took it on straight on and defeated it. And we can follow in his path. We go to sleep in Jesus because as soon as we leave this body, we are present with the Lord because he has raided the palace of the devil and taken us as his own children instead of being captives of the devil. This is what we need to believe. Let's turn back to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we also looked at that last Sunday, but I want you to see it fit in again with what we're talking about this morning. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, let me read it quickly. And you hath, this is verse 1, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. There was no difference between us and the wicked that will go to hell. We were all following the devil. Our leader was the prince of the power of the air. Ephesians 2.2 tells us that. We were following the course of this world, which was a course of rebellion, which was a course of destruction and death, with hell to result. But God rescued us. But we want to notice that we willingly gave ourselves to the strong man. Do you see that? We willingly stayed in the palace of the strong man. He got us there by getting our first parents to lie, by lying to our first parents and getting them to sin against the commandment of God, bringing death and condemnation on all of us. But we willingly stayed there. It says there that we walked according to the prince of the power of the air. We want to realize how great the strong man was and how we all obeyed him. What was his armor? Let me mention it again. Guilt. Guilt is part of the armor in which the strong man keeps us in his palace. There should be no guilt in a Christian's life. Why should there be no guilt in a Christian's life? Jesus has paid for all those sins. Amen. Why do you think he died? Every time you have thoughts of guilt for sins you've confessed, when you have thoughts of guilt, who is sending you those thoughts? The devil is. Because it makes you an ineffective Christian. Because you do not amount to what you could because you are worried about the past. That is a fiery dart of the devil. And it ought to be quenched with the shield of faith Amen. that God has forgiven me. He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Is that not good enough? By one offering. Amen. He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Guilt, sin, temptation, condemnation, ignorance, lies, darkness, death, and fear 
are how the devil keep us, keeps us in his palace. Look at Hebrews 2. Hebrews chapter 2. We want to read the Word of God this morning and see what the Lord has to say to us about the strong man and about the stronger man. Hebrews 2.15. We're going to come back to this passage, but I just want 15 right now. And deliver them. This is speaking of what our Lord did for us. Deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Men have been afraid of dying from the beginning. And other men have taken advantage of men being afraid of dying by using religion. You know, the pharaohs were kings and gods. And if you wanted to please God and have eternal life after death, then you better serve the pharaoh. You know, the Nipponese during World War II thought that they were serving their emperor, who was also their God. So they were willing to commit suicide in battle because they could gain eternal life that way. Are there any freedom fighters today that think the same thing? That by dying, they can secure eternal life? Through fear of death, Men are always will, are willing to pay great prices. How many, how many millions and billions of dollars have been spent in the Catholic Church by widows trying to secure the eternal life for their dead husbands? Because the Catholic Church has said, come and buy some indulgences from us. Come and buy some candles and we'll pray for you. Come and buy some masses and we'll say some masses for your husband. And so the money has flowed into the coffers of the Catholic Church Can't you tell by looking at their churches? Can't you tell by looking at their cathedrals? Can you tell by looking at the Vatican and Rome? Through fear of death, men have been subject to bondage. When a man's afraid of dying, other men get power over him, especially religious men, because he thinks those religious men can help him by getting rid of his fear of death. There's a verse. This is how the strong man kept us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the fear of death. The closer you walk with the Lord, the more freedom His Spirit has in your heart and soul, there will not be fear of death. Right. If, if we get to the Apostle Paul, there'll be confident expectation and an anxious longing for it. Right. Because the Apostle Paul knew that to be absent from his body was to be present with the Lord. And he said it would be far better to go to heaven than to stay here. He said, I'll stay here just for the sake of the churches, but I'd rather be there. And those are the words he used. Now that is a man who's been delivered. Fear of death? Are you kidding? He was looking forward to it. He said, please, let me escape this body and escape this world and to be in heaven with Christ, which is far better. Fear of death is one of his one of his weapons and some of his armor that he kept men bound. Here's another one. 2 Corinthians 4, 3. 2 Corinthians 4, 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Blindness, darkness, ignorance, The devil kept any message of truth or light ever getting to those that were lost. 
Now, Jesus Christ can save every single one of them, and he will. But he has opened up the light of the gospel to go to Gentile lands for 2,000 years, and we participate because of the Apostle Paul bringing the light of the gospel of the glorious knowledge of Jesus Christ to us. Amen. And it saves us from the darkness and the gospel being hid. If you hide the gospel from a Catholic, if a Catholic never hears that Jesus Christ has already paid for your sins, you don't have to pay money. You don't have to buy candles in order for your sins to be forgiven. You don't have to confess to a priest. Jesus has already forgiven your sins, and he's the only priest in the New Testament. If you never hear that, if you never hear that, guess what? And to think that you've got a priest there that can intercede between you and God, you'll go to that priest, and if he says, I want you to pray ten rosaries, and I want a thousand bucks for the church. Because we need a bigger TV in the rectory. The, the, woman will, the woman will cough it up. Or the man will cough it up. Amen. But that's because the glorious gospel has been kept from them. And the darkness of Catholic lands has been true for a long, long time. Right. How, did, how did the Catholic Church keep Catholic lands dark? This Bible was never preached. What language did Catholics use in all of their church services throughout the whole earth, no matter what the native language was until 1965? What language? Latin. Latin. Everybody just sat there and heard chattering monkeys up front pretending to be their pastors. Now, when you're hearing Latin, a language that you were not taught to understand, and they're going through the motions up front, the gospel is being hid from your eyes. You know nothing about the hope of the resurrection and the salvation of Jesus Christ. You're thinking that they're going through some mystical magic show up there, turning a cracker into God, and you just put your trust. If you're raised that way from childhood, you do not know there is anything different. That's right. We'll have, there's more in the Bible about that. Deception. He is the prince and the God of this world, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. In the times of the apostles, they could say, the whole world lieth in wickedness because the Gentile nations were all dark. There was no light in all the Gentile nations. The little bit of light started in Jerusalem, spread to Judea, expanded to Samaria, and then burst forth through the Roman Empire because that united many nations and men were able to travel freely. Look at the Apostle Paul was a Roman citizen and he got around, didn't he? Amen. He got around and brought the gospel of Christ to many Gentiles. And so the armor was being taken away from the devil. The armor, he had us under condemnation. Jesus justified us. He had us in darkness. The gospel brought light. Amen. He had us depraved because we ate the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God regenerated us and gave us a new heart that loved him. Amen. He got us under death where he could take the whole race that God had created and put them in the ground to, for corruption into hell. Jesus rose from the dead so that we will live forever with him. Amen. He took all the armor away, went into his palace, grabbed you and me, hauled us out, and we are members of his kingdom. Amen. Look at what it says in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1.13. It says of God our Father, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. God the Father took us 
out of the power of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. When words are translated, how much are the words involved in their translation? A translator does all the work. When Enoch was translated from earth to heaven, how much was he involved in his translation? Not at all. God translated him. And here it says that God hath delivered us from the power of darkness. He went in and saved us from that palace of the devil where we were doomed to death and eternal hell and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And most of that took place right here in our hearts. It took place legally by God sending Jesus Christ to pay that price for us so that we are free from the condemnation of the devil's palace. And we have the freedom and eternal life of Jesus Christ's kingdom. But he also changed our nature by translating us, just changing us from being one in one place and under condemnation and acting one way to a new way. The power by the power of God. That is what we believe about salvation. That is that first great act of regeneration in our nature that changes us from the power of darkness to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And brethren, here's how important it is. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is is an impressive passage. Paul is telling Timothy how to be a perfect minister. But in in spite of telling him how to be a perfect minister, here's what Paul has to tell Timothy. Verses 22 through 24 are telling him how to be a perfect minister. And he says in verse 25, In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. The devil can go take captive any man that he chooses at any time, just as easily as he did Adam and Eve, except it's easier, because Adam and Eve weren't even sinners by nature. The only hope that a man has of ever being rescued from the devil's captivity is God, peradventure, he might give repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Because until God changes a man's heart to where he will recognize and love truth, he will oppose himself in the snare of the devil. The devil is always contradictory because he's full of lies. Every devil-possessed person in the Bible was contradictory. Even pigs, when they had evil spirits in them, were contradictory and ran down a steep place into the sea and choked. They would not have done that otherwise because he's contradictory and he takes men captive at his will. He's the strong man, but the stronger man can rescue us. The stronger man can say live. And when the stronger man says live, we have a new nature that no longer wants to be in the devil's palace. It loves the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God for that. Amen. Turning back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Do you know how early we were told about a stronger man? I hope you know this verse, and I hope all the children will remember this verse. The first place in the Bible we're told that the stronger man was coming. 
We, heart, we, we open the Bible. We start reading the first chapter, creation. We read the second chapter, marriage. And one little verse that says, Of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Chapter 3. We only get to the third chapter of the Bible, and we see our first parents sinning against God. Obeying the devil. Believing his lies. And all of a sudden they're naked. They know it. They are not They are naked. They know their nakedness. They know their guilt and shame. And they're excusing their sins before God. And here's the message. We can already see that there's a strong man, can't we? Because the strong man took our first two parents down in just a matter of moments. And here's this verse that is the gospel preached in Genesis 3. Right. Genesis 3.15 and I will put enmity. He's, this is the Lord, Jehovah, speaking to the devil. Remember, God said, Adam, how do you know you're naked? Adam, did you eat the fruit off the tree? The woman that you made me, she made me, she gave it to me. He said, woman, what have you done? Well, the serpent beguiled me, excusing their sins. He turns the devil in verse 15. He has these words in the presence of Adam and Eve. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Amen. What's the most important word in Genesis 3.15? His. Circle that little male pronoun his. His is a singular male person. The woman was going to have a single boy baby. And that boy baby would grow into a man that would bruise Satan's head. And there it is in Genesis 3.15. Do you think Satan likes to be told that the little woman who was no match for him... Can you imagine Satan thinking about being compared to a woman? That that woman's going to have a little baby that is going to defeat him? What do you think that did to him? He doesn't like that verse in the Bible. Let me read to you from, the, from a Roman Catholic Bible. The Douay Old Testament for Genesis 3.15. So the devil's a liar from the beginning, isn't he? Yeah. When he has a verse like that that's telling him his destruction is certain by a little boy baby that's going to come from the woman that he deceived so easily, do you think he likes that? He's a liar, and here's the kind of Bibles that he writes. Genesis 3.15. This is the Douay version of the Old Testament. Look at your Bibles, and I'll read Satan's Bible that the Catholic Church endorsed with many days of indulgence, if you would just read it for 15 minutes. If you would read it for 15 minutes, let's see. We want to know how many days can you get out of purgatory. Due to the Word of God, and after the manner of spiritual reading, may gain an indulgence of 300 days. Awesome! Now that's a great investment. 15 minutes of reading time, 300 days out of purgatory. Right here. Genesis 3.15 I will put enmities between thee and the woman and thy seed and her seed. She shall crush thy head and thou shalt lie in wait for her heel. She shall crush thy head. What does it say in your Bibles? It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel, male. This makes the conflict between the devil and Eve 
And who was the Eve to the Roman Catholic Church? Mary. Mary. Changes it to a she. You know why I told you the most important word in Genesis 3.15? Is that little male pronoun, his. Singular male. You say, well, you're sure that's what the Word of God said? Well, let me read to you something from 1611 and see how it lines up with what you have in your Bibles. Here's a copy of the King James Version from 1611. 315. See if it looks close to what you have. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Is it close? 1611. 400 years. There's the Catholics. But where did the Catholics get the idea? They're not creative enough to come up with that on their own. Where did they get the idea of changing it to a conflict between the devil and Mary? From Satan himself. Because Satan knows that's a lie. The truth is what scares him. And that is Jesus Christ was coming. And as soon as Jesus Christ was born, what did he have Herod of the Roman Empire do to try to exterminate him? Kill all the babies in the area of Bethlehem. That was motivated by the devil. That was the red dragon of Revelation chapter 12 that was trying to stomp out that man-child before he could ascend to heaven. Because once that man-child ascended to heaven, his doom is certain. You know, he thought he had him on the cross. But Jesus Christ used the cross for a different purpose than the devil thought. Jesus Christ used the cross to defeat the devil. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2 and see that. Because what was the power that the devil had over us? Sin. Sin. Our first parents had sinned, and we had sinned. So we were condemned by a holy and just God that we had to go to hell. So how did the Lord Jesus Christ save us? By ripping sin out of the way. By paying for our sins. So there was nothing more that Satan knew that God would condemn us for. See, Satan always knows that God is just. God is righteous. And if he can keep men sinning, God will judge them and damn them to hell. He has to by his holy nature. So Jesus took it all out of the way. Look look at what we can read in Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. And you. And Paul would say that to you if he were here this morning. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. How did Satan have power over us that would send us to hell? Satan is not God. But how did Satan get power over us to send us to hell? He got us under the condemnation of sin where God would have to send us to hell. So what did God do? In His infinite wisdom and power, He chose the Lord Jesus Christ to come and live a perfect life for us and take all that sin out of the way. It said in verse 13, He forgave us all trespasses. It said in verse 14, He blotted out the handwriting of all ordinances that were against us. Did God write with His hand on two tables of stone? Have you ever violated any of those ordinances? Yes, you had. And that puts you under the power of the devil. But He blotted them out in verse 14. That those things that were contrary to us, He took it out of the way and nailed it to His cross. Praise His glorious name. Next Sunday night, the Lord's Supper with our new sister. 
be ready to celebrate what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. Amen. But look at the next verse. Yep. <laughs> and having spoiled principalities and powers, isn't that what we read in Luke 11? He would spoil his goods. He would divide his spoils. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. When Jesus Christ came on the scene, he made an open, disgraceful show of Satan. He destroyed him with his earthly ministry, his death, and his resurrection. He shamed principalities and powers. They thought they had ruined the race that he had created to display his glory to them, and Jesus rescued them and shamed the devil in the process. He spoiled them. He made a show of them as to how weak they were. And he triumphed over them in dying on the cross. But just think of all the things he did while he was alive. Did Satan come and test, t tempt the Lord Jesus Christ when he was 40 days and hungry? Yep. Who won that little conflict? The Lord Jesus Christ did. Amen. Turn to Luke 10. Let me show you another little conflict. Luke chapter 10. Why did Jesus Christ have to have flesh and blood? Because He had to come and be a perfect substitute for us. Right. He had to look just like us. He had to look like the first Adam because He was the second Adam. So Hebrews 2.14 tells us that He took not on Him the nature of angels, but the nature of Abraham, flesh and blood, that through death, listen to these words, He might destroy Him that had the power of death and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Amen. Those are precious words. Amen. Jesus died, so we will not have to right. in any real way. We're just going to go to sleep and go to heaven. Amen. We're just going to get rid of these bodies and get out of this world. But He took on our nature so that He could die to get rid of death and the power that Satan had over us with that death and the fear that we had of it. Look at Luke 10. You want to see him triumphing even before he gets to the cross? Luke 10, verse 17, And the seventy returned again with joy. Now this isn't the twelve. This is the seventy. The seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. A grand display of falling to the earth. He saw the great power that he had invested in these 70, casting devils out of people throughout Judea. And he saw the victory that he was already beginning to taste and have over the devil. Behold, he says in verse 19, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Amen. What's the most important thing they should rejoice over? Their names were written in heaven. Amen. Not that he had invested them with so much power that the devils immediately obeyed them through his name. That's the power of the gospel. Look at Matthew chapter 17 and verse 21 i got to convince you this morning that there is a devil still alive in the world who wants to sell lies. Matthew 17 was a father with a son who was devil-possessed. The son would often throw himself in the fire. He would try to destroy himself because that's what devils do. They want to destroy life. Jesus wants you to have the abundant life. They are so opposite of each other. 
the this this father brought his son to the disciples. The disciples could not cast the devil out. The father brought him to Jesus, and Jesus cast the devil out. And the disciples said to Jesus, "Why couldn't we do it?" And he said, "Because this was a special kind of devil." And verse twenty-one of Matthew seventeen tells us what was needed for this particular case. Matthew seventeen twenty-one. Howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Disciples, I've just told you that if you had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you could move mountains. But this particular kind of devil needs prayer and fasting. Now, do you know what the modern Bible versions do to that verse? Here's the NIV. It doesn't matter if I have the NIV or the New American Standard Version, which is Bob Jones's favorite. Here's what it says in Matthew 17:21. I'll try to read it to you. See how it compares. Matthew seventeen twenty one. How did it compare? How did it compare? I'll read it again. Did it compare? No way. There is no Matthew seventeen twenty one. Yep. How hard do you have to think to be able to figure out who wouldn't want Matthew seventeen twenty one in the Bible? You have to think hard. Nope. I remember saying to my mother a long time ago, you get three guesses as to who won that verse of the Bible, and the first two don't count. There's a verse telling you how to cast out hard devils, and that verse is out of the Bible. Satan is a liar, and he's the father of lies. That's just one example of many verses he's taken out of the Word of God. I just want to remind you that a liar is still active, and do you know how we oppose him? We stand for the truth. Do you want to oppose the devil? Then live a truthful and honest life earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. He cannot stand it. Look at Acts 13 and verse 10. Acts 13.10 He cannot stand men living for the once delivered faith. And that's what we're told to do. Acts 13.10 Here's Paul speaking to a sorcerer named Elamas. That's up in verse 8, but I want to read verse 10. Paul said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? That tells you what the devils are doing. They don't live a righteous life, and they're always perverting the right ways of the Lord. There is a right way to worship God. And every time that we make sure that we are rightly worshiping God, we are opposing the devil. Because we're not giving into the perversions of Christianity that he brings along. Corruption of religion is from the devil. The devil has his Jesus, his spirit, and his gospel, according to 2 Corinthians 11, verses 3 and 4. And he corrupts the right way of the Lord. And if we want to oppose him, we can stand in this church for the right way of the Lord and not allow any perversions or changes to it. And we can live that righteous life that is mentioned there. Jesus told his disciples before he went back to heaven, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now, if he's got all power, is he the strong man or the stronger man? Could we even improve on that? He's a strongest man. Amen. He said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Satan had held all those nations in dark, black, ignorance for thousands of years 
it wasn't for the Lord Jesus Christ sending his gospel to enlighten us and his powerful spirit to regenerate us, we'd still be worshiping the stumps of trees, brethren. Right. But he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. And they went therefore. And they went everywhere. And you know, we can read that even while Paul was still alive, the gospel was being preached, believed, and men and women were being baptized in the British Isles. Amen. Thank you, Lord. This morning I opened our service with, I am persuaded that neither angels nor principalities nor powers can separate us. They can't separate us because he's the stronger man. Amen. Brethren, lay hold of him this morning. Lay hold of the Lord Jesus Christ. Run to him and say, thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord. Let's be like that one leper that ran and fell down with a loud voice. Thank the Lord for what he had done for him. Let us thank the Lord Jesus Christ for what he's done for us. And let us lay hold of that eternal life by living a righteous life that pleases him. Because that's the proof that's in the pudding of whether we're God's elect or not. is whether we live that holy and righteous life. I'd like to turn you to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And with these verses I close. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 where the Apostle Paul sums up some of these things that we've considered this morning. 2 Thessalonians 2, we understand this chapter where it's talking about the man of sin. The man of sin, the great enemy of the churches of Jesus Christ, the great enemy of Christ himself. We understand this along with our fathers in the faith before 150 years ago to be the popes of Rome. We understand this to be the popes of Rome, but notice the description that the Apostle Paul gives beginning at verse 7. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. That was the devilish working within the Roman Empire before it became the Roman Catholic Church. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. The Caesars of Rome... I've explained it before. I'll explain it again, but not right now. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned, who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That is a condemnation on the Catholic religion and how it used the lies of Satan to deceive its people into unrighteousness. And we could go forever. You know, as long as you go to confession and say a few Hail Marys, hey, it doesn't matter how you live. You know, we turn, God, we turn a cracker into God in our altars. We can give you extreme unction at the hour of your death and take care of anything you might have forgotten during your lifetime. They're the ones that corrupted Genesis 3.15 to make it a conflict between Jesus and the woman. They're the ones that teach the doctrine of devils to abstain from marriage and forbidding to eat meats. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Lying wonders of Satan and all deceivableness by the mystery of iniquity. Here's the verse I want for you and me. 
Verse 13, but. You know, there are some precious buts in the Bible. Amen. Right here. He is describing men that are damned to unbelief and strong delusion that God was going to send their way. But we are bound. Do you feel this is your duty this morning? It shouldn't be a duty. It should be a privilege. Amen. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto He called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Second Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14 say, You Thessalonians have been delivered from that judgment and that man of sin that is coming by the grace of God. He chose you to deliverance before the world began. He sent His Holy Spirit and sanctified you and made you holy individuals by His own power. Then He sent us to preach the truth to you and you believe the truth because the Spirit had already sanctified you and He's called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the full glory of knowing sin's been paid, heaven is waiting, death is defeated. We are the Lord's. So Paul could say to the Corinthians, O death, where is thy sting? Amen. See, that's all the devil had, really, was death. And Jesus Christ destroyed it. The Apostle Paul could mock the grave and death because of what the stronger man has done for us. The next three verses tell us that because of that, we ought to stand fast and hold the traditions and comfort our hearts and establish ourselves in every good word and work. Verses 15, 16, and 17. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.